You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. I asked the people that I interview, and I didn't do this the last two times I talked to you, and I don't know why, but I asked the people I interview to give me a little soundbite that I can play at the beginning of the episode, something like, Hi, this is Tom DeFalco, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. I was wondering if you could say that for me. The Epic Marvel Podcast. That's right. right. I'm going to add a one word in there. Of course. Okay. So whenever you want, I'll do it. Okay. Yeah. Anytime you're ready. Hi there. This is the legendary Tom DeFalco, and you are listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. I'm going to tell you why I stick in the legendary. Okay. A bunch of years ago, I, you know, uh, there was a period of time where it looked like I was going to be doing some work with Michael Jackson. Oh wow! And I found out, I found out that whenever you do work with Michael Jackson, you are required by contract to refer to him as the King of Pop. What really? So he self-named himself. Yeah, he self-named himself the King of Pop. And he required everybody who did business with him to call him the king of pop. Oh, wow. So whenever you refer to him, you know, and since I didn't sign the contract, I don't have to call him the king of pop. Anyway, <laughs> after that happened, one time I'm on the phone with, with uh, Ron friends and I said, Ron, you know, Michael Jackson requires everybody to call him the king of, king of pop. So I think from now on, I'm going to require everybody to call me the legendary Tom DeFalco. Oh, is that and, why he calls you that? Because I've heard him call you that <laughs> numerous times. <laughs> and, and, and Ron then decided to bust my chops and always call me that. He does. <laughs> and, yes. And every once in a while, he would call me up on the phone. Can I speak to Mr. Legend, please? <laughs> and, and you know, we would be on podcasts together and, and say, no, no, you got to call him the legendary Tom DeFalco. Just to bust my chops. (laughs) And then one time I'm I'm listening and somebody calls up and says, you know, I want to talk to the legendary Tom DeFalco. And I thought, oh, and I did Ron Friends put you up to that. (laughs) And and he had heard it enough times that he actually thought you should actually call me that. Um, (laughs) And now because I'm I'm an old fart, everybody does call me that. So, you know, it's, you know, be careful of what you wish for. Okay. Well, I will have to uh, change my language now so that I include that also. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it's all it's all a crock it's great anyway it's great <laughs> <laughs> fantastic four was a uh, was is what you know marvel's premier comic strip like it it kind of formed the whole marvel universe and uh so when you came on board i i'm just wondering what was your approach like how did you want to tackle this this these characters that people have already kind of put their mark on in numerous ways well there were a lot of things going on the sales on fantastic four had kind of fallen and it was while old-time readers thought of it as um you know centered to the marvel universe at that time current readers did not okay so you know my big fear is that the sales had fallen to, to the point where it looked like the fantastic four was going to come off the newsstand Oh, wow. And I just thought, you know, I didn't want to be editor-in-chief when the Fantastic Four fell off the newsstand. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I, I thought, you know, come on. I don't want that to be my legacy. Um, 
And I, I, I thought, well, you know, we, we really have to get back to, to basics on the Fantastic Four. And to me, that meant you're, you're dealing with a, a family that is in constant crisis. Okay. And, and, and I looked at the, the FF as a family. Uh, I thought of it, and this will show how old I am, I thought of it as Dallas. Okay, yeah. Instead of the background, you know, instead of the background being oil fields, the background was, you know, science fiction right. uh, situations. And I tried to create a family soap opera based around the, the Fantastic Four because I, I think that something that comic books does very well or used to do very well was soap opera. Yeah. You got so caught up in the character's life that, you know, issue by issue would go by and some issues would have great villains and great stories and some issues not so great villains and not so great stories. But you were so caught up in the characters' lives that you almost didn't care. You had to pick up the next issue uh, to find out what was happening in Spider-Man's life, what was happening, you know, with Thor and Jane Foster, uh, what, what's going on with uh, Iron Man and Pepper Potts. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I wanted to recreate that kind of soap opera. Now I know when you say soap opera, every comic book fan, you know, grabs his grabs his ears and and, and says, "Oh no, I don't want soap opera." <laughs> but yes, you do. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yes, you do because that's what brings you back month after month after month. Right. Uh, but you know, most of them, when they think of soap opera, they think of uh, you know yeah. the television soap. Opera. Right. Of course. Yeah. Which. Yeah. So I wanted to, you know, recreate the original FF dynamic and, 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 and soap opera. So we, uh, I basically told Paul uh, Ryan, my partner in crime for that, that uh, we were going to try to uh, develop, you know, the world's wildest roller coaster ride. Wow. Yeah. And just set up a soap opera where, you know, we would just keep slamming the characters, you know, basically crisis after crisis after crisis. And you were the editor in chief. Yeah, I was the editor in chief at the time. So when when uh, the the t- opportunity came up for a new writer um, or a new creative team to come over, you put yourself in place for that. No. Okay. No. How does this work? What what I was talking about was after after I took over the FF. Right. After I was put in place, the editor of the book was Ralph Macchio. Yeah. And I'd been working with Ralph on Thor for I don't know how long. <laughs> A few years, yeah. A, f- a few years. I'd, I'd been on Thor with Ryan Friends for a few years, and um, Walt Simons was on the FF, and Walt had decided that he was going to leave. So Ralph came to me, and he asked me, you know, he says, I, I need somebody for the FF. And I, I suggested a few names. One of the names I kept saying, you know, Chris Claremont used to want to write the FF. Talk to Chris, because I figured that, you know, Chris was another guy who could do great soap opera. Yeah. I thought, hey, yeah. You know, get Chris on, on the FF. And Ralph spoke to Chris, and uh, Chris wasn't interested. Okay. Uh, I mean, he was in. He was interested, but he was overcommitted at that state with so many X Men projects, and didn't want to, you know, leave any of the any of his current projects. Ralph spoke to, I think, two or three other people, and for various reasons, he, he couldn't go with any of them. Some were people who had done the FF previously. You know, one was a, a guy who d- had done the FF previously, and he said, "Listen, I- I'll come back on the one condition that I can basically erase everything that has happened since I left the book." <laughs> <laughs> and Ralph said, "You know, I-, I don't know what Ralph's response was, but he uh, 
he decided that that was not <laughs> what he wanted to do. Right. Oh, wow. And he had spoken to a couple of other people, and, and they all had so many preconditions that he came to me and he said, you know what? You know, uh, at, at that time, Thor, uh, that Ron Friends and I were doing, was one of our top news, newsstand selling books. And he said, we want the FF to be a top newsstand selling books. How about you and Ron take over the FF and we'll get someone else for Thor? And I thought, oh, you know, that's an idea. You know, you know, you should talk to Ron. And I don't quite know where how the conversation went and stuff. But basically, Ron and I were deeply involved with the Eric Masterson storyline at that time. Right. Yeah. And, you know, Ron basically said to me he can't leave eric at that stage oh, okay um, uh, and i and i thought you know well i don't, I don't want to leave ron at that stage either and I, I, you know and we came back and said you know we we, we just can't do it and then uh ralph said to me well, well how about if you just do it and i you know and i thought about it and thought about it because i had a number of different commitments at that time being editor-in-chief and Doing, doing one monthly book and thought, oh, man, can I really squeeze in a second monthly book? I'd like grown very attached to those five hours of sleep that I was getting. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought, man, do I really want to give that up? And um, and then thought, you know what? I, I was doing some other non-comic book work that I wasn't that happy with. You know, it paid very well, but... <laughs> But I thought, you know, I think, you know, maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'll give up some other diff different type of work and, uh, and and do the FF. And when I found out Paul Ryan was on it, I, you know, I had always liked Paul's work and and really liked Paul personally and thought, you know, what the hell? Take a shot. Just see, see if we can come up with <laughs> some some craziness that uh, can can spark the sales. Right. And and that ultimately decided you know decided me to, to do that stuff and you know it sounds strange that you know editor-in-chief is reporting to an editor and technically i was ralph's boss right right <laughs> but i had freelanced for him for for you know so many years before i became editor-in-chief that we kind of like established the ground rules long before you know, there, there were certain guys that, that you know, that I had worked with as, as a regular freelancer, you know, Ralph Macchio, Danny Fingroth, Larry Hama, that, like I said, we had established the ground rules. So it's not like I could have pulled rank on, on these guys because, um, hmm. you know, they already had my, <laughs> they already had my number, knew which bus, buttons to push and that sort of thing. <laughs> You know, all, all I had to say is, you know, this plant looks familiar, and you go, "Oh shit!" <laughs> 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 or, or, or the, you know, you know, Ralph would say, "Yeah, this is this is this is really good, but I really think you could come up with something better." Yeah, <laughs> and, and it, you know, I know nobody's going to believe that, but that's, <laughs> you know, that's exactly how we worked. So. Well, that's great. That's great. How did you work with Paul? Tell me a little about Paul, because he passed away a few years ago. I I don't really, I haven't seen interviews with him or anything like that. What kind of person is Paul? Where was Paul? Paul was an absolute professional. He sat down every day at the same time every day, did his work, and, you know, produced, I think, two pages of pencils every day and would not get up from the drawing board until they were done. He would call me up every once in a while, and and as we're talking, I could hear his pencil going across the page. 
because <laughs> <laughs> he never stopped working. Wow. If you're familiar with the FF, you know, our, our FF1, we did some really crazy things. Yes. Um, coming up with all sorts of ridiculous nonsense. And, you know, I, I describe outrageous scenes. And Paul would just sit there and draw it and, and drew it in, in such a crystal clear kind of storytelling that you, you could just follow from panel to panel without ever getting lost. And uh, each panel had such detail. You could, you felt you were, you were living in those panels. Mm-hmm. I've, I've always felt that creative people, when they're doing their jobs well, are invisible. And all you see are the characters and all you care about are the characters. And and Paul is one of those guys that, you know, could just drag you into the story and you forgot that you were looking at artwork or reading lousy dialogue. <laughs> you, you just got caught up in the story. Right. Paul is often credited as co-plotter in, in these Fantastic Four books as well. He, You and he talk about the stories a lot. We, we talked about the stories. Uh, you know, the, the co-plotter thing... A lot of times, you know, I, I knew what the story, you know, how the story worked and stuff, um, but I couldn't figure out how to make <laughs> how to make the visuals work. But Paul could, so I felt he should get co-plotting credit for it. Okay. We are a visual medium. Yep. And I know that the, you know, we writers uh, like to project ourselves as total geniuses and 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 the ones responsible for, <laughs> for the reason why you're buying the books. But uh, you know, in our heart of hearts. <laughs> We know that, you know, we're nothing without our artists. Yeah. And it's, it's the artist who is, the, who is the, you know, we may start the, the, the ball rolling, but it's the artist who really tells the story because we are a visual medium. And I always felt my, you know, artists should get as much credit, you know, as much credit as, as I got. I, you know, I've always said that, the, you know, all the good ideas came from the artist and all the bad ideas came from me. <laughs> And so you would work in the sort of the Marvel method with Paul. You'd leave the yeah, scripting till absolutely. after you saw the art. Yep. One of the first things that you guys did on the book was, um, well, you, you talked about how you put these characters th- through the ringer constantly. You you kind of destroyed Johnny's marriage right off the bat. <laughs> yeah. Tell yeah, me about that decision. I, uh, well, that, that decision goes back, you know, a couple of years previous. Um, one time, I, I think I was at Ralph Macchio's house uh, by a swimming pool, and uh, he and Mark Roomwald were talking about Johnny's marriage to Alicia, and they were coming out, trying to come out with ways to negate it in some way, shape, or form. And I've always had the attitude that you move forward. You, you, don't, you don't try to correct the mistakes of the past, cause, because there are always mistakes. There are always some, some bad stories, some continuity errors, that sort of stuff. So so it's our job to go forward and make new mistakes <laughs> and, and forget about the old mistakes. Yeah. Just keep moving forward. And, and they were talking about things and, and one of them said, oh, we could always say that Alicia was a scroll. <laughs> and for some reason that, that always stuck in the back of my mind. And I never intended to be writing the Fantastic Four. <laughs> but that, that idea stuck in the back of my mind and I thought, what a goofy idea that is. What, you know, and I said, you know, guys, come on, let's let's either concentrate on on enjoying this beautiful summer day, or or let's create new stories and forget about the old stories. Flash forward a number of years, and I don't know how many years passed between that conversation 
and uh, me taking over the FF. And I thought, you know, uh, when the time came to plot the first issue, I thought, what ideas do I have for the Fantastic Four? And that scroll idea came back, and I uh, thought, gee, I wonder if that could work. And I thought through it, and I went back, and I checked things, and I thought, yeah, you know, this could actually work. <laughs> And I went to Ralph and I proposed the thing. And he goes, that's a terrific idea. Where'd you get it from? And I said, you. (laughs) (laughs) And I I reminded him of the conversation that he and Mark had had. And, um, you know, he didn't remember the conversation. But, you know, luckily or, or unluckily, I did. And I, you know, explained how it all tied up and everything. And, you know, I said, let's go with it. It's it's something no no one's going to... uh, you know, no one's going to expect this. Oh yeah, completely unexpected. I loved it when I. That was. Uh, I'll tell you something. This will. This will seem. I don't know if you'll like hearing this or not, but this was one of my first comic books I ever read when I was a kid. And uh, and yes, it, I'm that old. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, it's just. I mean, I didn't really know anything about the characters, but just the idea that there was an alien disguised among us just blew my mind and I, I was instantly hooked and that soap opera that you talked about I was all in and I couldn't have told you that that was what soap opera, soap opera was but it, it had me hooked and I, I loved it I, I, I'm so glad I uh, around that time for, you know, and I guess it's because I was editor-in-chief everybody claimed to hate the FF <laughs> oh wow you know all the reviewers all the reviewers would rip it apart every month and that sort of thing and yet every month the sales went up nice uh, the, so, so the soap opera thing was working. Uh, FF became, you know, at one point the the top three newsstand selling comic books were would it would alternate between GI Joe, um, which was advertised on television and written by Larry Hama, one of the true unsung geniuses of our, of our industry. Yes, it would be either GI Joe, Captain America, Thor, or Fantastic Four. One of those four would always be the top newsstand selling book, you know, percentage wise. Really? Wow. We did raise it up. Sales kept going up. I one time ran into somebody and would write a review review every month about how bad the uh, FF was. And I said, you know, why do you do it every month? I mean, why put yourself, you obviously hate the book. Why put yourself through that misery? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Every month. And he said to me, well, because I have to find out what happens. <laughs> so it worked. It still worked. <laughs> so it worked. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's great. Um, you also uh, gave uh, people costume changes, and I think you got quite a bit of flack, especially for the, the way you changed uh, Sue's costume. You want to? Can you speak to that a little bit? Sue was being possessed by this other entity. I think it was called Malice or something. Yes, that's right. And I and I said to Paul, I said, um, so we, we want her to have a sexier costume as of the point she gets possessed. Um, so there's a visual difference in Sue so that later on when the readers, when we reveal what happened, the readers can backtrack and see where we where we actually set it up from, from the start. Because um, I always felt you got to play fair with the readers. Um, something new is happening with Sue, so we're going to let her look different so that people will know that she she looks different. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he ended up drawing that very sexy costume. Yep. And a lot of people were very upset about that because they thought of Sue Storm as their mother. 
you know, they thought of Sue Storm as a mother figure and had forgotten that, no, she's she's supposed to be one of those, you know, attractive women in the Marvel Universe. Um, you know, over the years, people are accepting the fact that Sue is, you know, much more than, than a mother. But, but you know, you, you can be a mother and still be attractive. Yep, yep, definitely. <laughs> you know? So yeah, that was one of the one of the controversies. Yeah. We, we always had a handful of controversies at any given time. But that's okay. I mean, you can't uh, get away with uh, being controversy free. Uh, I would say that that makes your comic book a little boring. <laughs> you gotta you gotta push the limits, right? Yeah, that's you know that's what we're there for. Yep. Uh, one of the things you did also was you aged Franklin. I thought that was uh, quite a brilliant move to just create some really nice, some neat stories there. Yeah, we, <laughs> we we wanted to keep, you know, keep the readers on their toes mm-hmm. um, and thought, hey, if we age Franklin, for too many times people use Franklin as a kind of a pawn. Oh, we'll kidnap Franklin. Oh, we'll put Franklin in danger. Oh, do this. Well, let's let's remove that that crutch. And, and let's set him up with a whole new backstory and stuff like that. Yeah. I know that caught a lot of readers by surprise. Yeah, it was great. I know it caught Paul, it caught, it caught Paul Ryan by surprise. Oh, yeah, really? <laughs> when he got that plot, he goes, what the heck is we? <laughs> Where are we going with this? And I said, yep, Paul, That's... I forgot to call you about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> now, um, and, and then you, whose decision was it to give him his own spin-off series, The Fantastic Force? <laughs> the real secrets behind comics. I'm just going to, you know, this will be between you, me, and whoever listens to your podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going along with The Fantastic Four, and then suddenly there's a controversy in the fan press that Marvel plans to cancel The Fantastic Four and, and change it to uh, The Fantastic Force. Okay. Because we, we had done that with uh, New Mutants and X-Force. Oh, yeah, right, of course. So so this controversy pops up, and, you know, uh, I, I first hear about it because, you know, anytime there was any sort of controversy or I was being ripped apart in the fan press, Larry Hama would come in, read the article, and laugh at me. <laughs> um, which, was a, which was a wonderful thing he did because, you know, anytime I got a bad review, he'd bring it in, read it, and laugh. And, and if you've ever heard Larry's laugh, it's so infectious that oh, I yes. had to laugh. Totally. So, you know, for, you know, anytime I get a bad review, all I, all I hear is Larry Hammer's laughter and, you know, I'm good. <laughs> it diffused the <laughs> so, whole thing. So, yeah. So, yeah. So the, the, I don't take anything personally. Wow. That's um, great. And he he's laughing about this fantastic force. And he says, so, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to cancel the thing. I said, no, the only reason I took over the fantastic force. So we didn't have to, you know, cancel or change it on the newsstand or anything else like that and he said oh okay and you know i kind of forgot about it but this controversy just kept brewing and brewing um and then at one point you know i don't remember if it was Grooney or what uh, you know came in and said you know maybe this fantastic four force idea isn't such a bad idea maybe we should do that <laughs> and, I, and i said all right you know what maybe we should but but We'll, we'll do it in a way that they don't expect us to do it. We'll just launch a second book. <laughs> you know, 
we started doing fantastic for the fantastic forces coming and that sort of stuff ads and and you know pushing totally it out. playing into it and, yeah uh, <laughs> and people get real you know fantastic four fans are get really pissed off because you know obviously we're going to cancel their favorite book because <laughs> it had become people's favorite book by that time yeah yeah and and then we you know came out with the fantastic force aside from fantastic four yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good brilliant i love it oh man there's just uh there's so many high points that i love about about your strip here and uh um when you killed off reed richards and this is in an era where the heroes weren't dying left and right and so the death of a character was a big deal still. And I read that and I was like, wow, they actually did that. I had no idea what was going to happen. Um, did you did you know when you did when you decided that you wanted to alter the FF in this way, were you like, Reed's got to be the one to go instead of any of the other three? Well, yeah, because, you know, when, when we started to discuss this, um, you know, Paul and I realized that, you know, who is the one person that you cannot remove from the FF? Um, and it was Reed. <laughs> so he said, hey, if Reed's the one guy that you can't pull out of the FF, then that's the guy that's got to go. Right. There you go. Wow. Um, and, you know, we worked it out and we we figured out how he comes back. We, you know, uh, not in, not in total detail, but we knew how, you know, how eventually he, he and Doom would come back and, and, and you know, figured it all out said okay you know we we know you know we know how the story ends because because i'm a devout coward and you know i can't really start a storyline until i know how it ends yeah right um <laughs> uh and um you know we just set it up and you know when people heard that a member of the fantastic four was going to die everybody guessed all the other three three members but no one ever guessed reed wow yeah well perfect you know? then <laughs> and we yeah it was perfect and then we you know and we set it up so that reed and doom go together which i thought you know worked yeah um and you know everybody at the you know at the end of the story gets you know said you know why was reed so stupid he reached his hand out to doom why why would he be so stupid to do that because that was Reed. He always extended a hand. And and he had actually done that in the beginning of the story also. Right. I, you know, in, in an earlier part of the story, you know, he, he extends a hand to, to Doom. And um, Doom refuses to take his hand. And then at the end of the story, when Doom believes he's dying, he then takes the hand, figuring, you know, uh, if I'm going, Reed's going with me. Hmm. Both of those characters stayed true to themselves to the very end, which is fantastic. Yeah, really great well, ending for them. In those days when we were writing a book, we would stay true to the essence of the character. You know, these days people, you know, writers, you know, focus on their interpretation of the character or their vision of the character. Uh, back in th those days, you know, the character was much more important than the creative person. And I still think that's, that should be true, but yeah. that's me. I'm an old fart. <laughs> <laughs> what I liked about this storyline is that you've already, you had already been building up Sue as a more independent, confident woman, woman and now she takes charge of the team in a, in a leadership role. And I thought that was a really great way to develop um, her, her personality and her story arc as well. Well, 
and we figured, why not? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, Paul and I were married men, and we knew who the real bosses were. <laughs> <laughs> and so, at that point, at that time, you you canceled. Oh, sorry, not canceled. You covered up the the four on the cover, and it said Fantastic Three. But it really was still four because Elijah was a major character through through this whole the whole time here. She had come back by this point. Um, when you wrote that uh, that initial story where she was revealed for the first time, did you intend to have her as a reoccurring supporting character? Not really. <laughs> we had planned to reveal that she was a scroll, and a couple of issues later, they go to the world to to rescue Alicia and. Elijah, you know, theoretically sacrifices herself right. to uh, to to save Johnny and Alicia, and I, I forget the the actual details. And you know, Paul and I set up her, you know, quote unquote death in a way that we could bring her back whenever we wanted to, but we weren't really planning on you know making her a regular character at that time. Okay. To to our surprise, th- there was such an overwhelming response to her that it's almost like we had no choice but to bring her back. Oh, okay. Um, I, I think that you, you had started with that uh, FF issue. A lot of readers had started with that FF free thing, and that it's, it kind of had started, you know, like I said, that issue and the next issue and every issue after that, sales were progressively climbing. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of people started with Liger and they, they wanted to see her back. So we, we brought her back and I thought, I thought she and Johnny ended up having a very nice relationship together. Yeah. It ended up being, uh, quite a, quite a, a fascinating story. Yeah. It, when you got up to around number 400, I, uh, I feel like I was talking to Ralph Macchio about this and, and telling him that uh, I fully expected uh, you guys to bring Reed back with issue 400. Like, why wouldn't you? It's 400. But then you don't do it. It's like a big, like, ha <laughs> fooled you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody thought we were going to bring back, you know, Reed in issue 400. Yeah. And I said, and as we were moving there, I, I said to Ralph, um, yeah, no, that's the obvious thing. Why do the obvious thing? Uh, you know, so 400 was where Sue finally accepts that Reed is dead. Yeah. And they have a memorial service at 400. I said, that's the last thing anybody's going to expect. Right. Um, and I said, you know, 400 is a give me. 400 is going to sell no matter what we do. We, you know, we can print blank pages in there. It's going to sell. <laughs> What, what we're going to have to do is really work hard to sell 401, 402. Oh, so let's right. bring them back around there. <laughs> so so let's tell everybody Sue's finally accepted. He's gone. He's not coming back. And then you bring him back because <laughs> they're not going to expect it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's perfect. So, so that's, you know, that was the reasoning. Yeah. We're very manipulative. Oh, I love it. Yep, I that's... should be ashamed of myself. <laughs> oh, no, no way. That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> comics were going through a, a quite a... Well, Marvel comics especially, quite a um, kind of a turbulent time at, at this point in the, in the mid-90s. And a lot of things were happening in terms of just the way comics were made with uh, the rise of the digital world and that kind of thing. How did that affect, or did it affect, your work, your and Paul's work on this title at all? The, the digital world did not affect us at all, um, because this was this was you know too soon. Not everybody was on the internet, um, and, you know, 
not everybody had email. It was, you know, it was still new in the 90s. Yeah. Um, there were a number of things that affected it. Number one, since the FF had become one of the top newsstand selling books, um, it was my plan originally to leave with issue number 398, 399, somewhere around there. Okay. And and let the new team, you know, do do 400 and go, go on. Because I thought, you know, I had achieved my goal. FF is one of the top new selling, selling books. I don't have to do that anymore. And I thought, I'm so, at the time, I was so used to doing two books a month. I looked at one of the books that had fallen down and I targeted that and said, okay, that's the book I want to, I want to do now because it's one of our, uh, it was once one of our, our best selling books. Now it's one of our worst selling books. So I focused on, on another title and thought, you know, I want to talk to the editor and see if he's okay. And then we'll get some, some other team to take over FF. Um, and, you know, I'll go on that crummy selling comic book. Okay. Uh, that was my plan. What it, what happened though around that particular time was, um, uh, you know, number one, I got fired as a uh, editor in chief. Okay. Then later on, Marvel bought its own distributor, and 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 that's what you know kind of destroyed a lot of what was going on in the direct market at, at that time. When Marvel announced that it was buying its own distributor, comic book sales sales fell. I don't remember if it was 40 or 60% in one month. Wow. And can you explain how that was the case? When Marvel decided to buy its own distributor, suddenly all the other companies had to, uh, you know, they pulled out of this distributor that Marvel bought because nobody wanted it to be distributed. No other company wanted it to be distributed by Marvel. And you can't blame them. Yeah. Then all the other distributors were decided we got to sign exclusives, and it just went crazy because a lot of comic book stores were in bad shape because, you know, the death of Superman. Yes. The death of Superman came in and sold out and sold terrific numbers, and then a couple of months—I uh, don't know how many months later—there was the return of Superman, and. All the retailers thought, wait a minute, if the death of Superman sells X number of, of copies, the return of Superman will sell double that or triple that or whatever the heck. Right. Um, and while the media had reported very heavily on the death of Superman, they totally ignored the return of Superman. And as a result, the return of Superman put a lot of stores out of business. Just, I, I shouldn't say the return of Superman put stores out of business. The store owners who, who were gambling instead of ordering intelligently put themselves out of business. Right. A lot of stores went out of business. A lot of other stores were very shaky. The, the whole industry was getting very shaky at that time. And Marvel decided, well, you know, here's our chance to, yeah, I can't even explain. I have no idea why Marvel bought their own distributor. <laughs> okay. I, 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 when they told me, I said to them, are you out of your minds? And probably not as politely as that. Yeah. It made no sense to me then. It makes no sense to me now. Uh, Marvel did two very stupid things around that time. They bought their own distributor. And, and, and around that time when I was editor-in-chief, we were doing about 120 titles. And all of them were making were making money for us. And the publisher gets the smallest... Um, the publisher gets the second smallest amount of money um, per title. The distributor gets the smallest amount of money per title. Um, and the retailer gets the most amount of money per title. 
because wow. the retailers get it at fifty percent off. We, we were making, you know, not not quite fifty percent, but uh, less than that. And the re- and the distributors were, were getting maybe a five percent okay. thing. So our one hundred and twenty titles, we're making money on all the titles. A, a, a group of people said to me, "If we cut the titles down to to sixty, would they sell twice as well?" And I laughed, and then realized they were serious. Oh boy! And and said no because if you cancel somebody's favorite title, somebody's reading Spirits of Vengeance, and you cancel that title, it's not like they're going to suddenly pick up Captain America. Right. And I used the example of movies. I said, you know, a week weekend comes by and three good movies come out. Well maybe you can see two of them and you say, well, next week I'll come back and see the third one. If a week comes by and no good movies come out, you don't say, well, I'll go to a movie. I'm not interested. You go off a pizza instead. Right. And as I said, comic books are the same sort of thing. If you're a Captain America fan, if Captain America comes out that week, you buy it. If Captain America doesn't come out that week, you may not buy anything. Totally. Um, and they, they make, they made the mistake that so many publishers do. Um, they say that, hey, if I cut down the, the number of publications, my remaining my remaining titles will sell much better. And that trick never works. If you're <laughs> going to do if you're doing four Spider-Man titles and you cut cut away two of them, all you've done is cut away two good selling titles. It's not like the other two double in sales because they were buying all of them anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But only people who don't understand publishing, don't understand the industry, you know, keep coming up with the same bad idea over and over again. Yeah. So how did this affect Fantastic Four then? Well, Fantastic Four sales, like all other sales, around, I think it hit around 401, 402, sales fell down. But sales fell down on every, okay. across the board. Right. Um, the, the company decided, since I was against the idea of cutting titles, and since I was against the idea of them buying a distributor, they became against the idea of keeping me as editor-in-chief. Oh. Um, so, you know, they decided, hey, Tom, you, you've, you've ruined the com- company enough, we're going to bring in a new, a new person. And as a result of this, that at some point they offered me a, a writing contract, and it was a really good writing contract, so... I decided to take it, but one of the stipulations was I couldn't quit a title. Oh, <laughs> Marvel had, you know, Marvel had the ability to put me wherever the hell they wanted to put me, and I thought, no, that's fair. They're going to pay me a lot of money. They should have the right to put me where they want me to. Okay, yeah. And they decided they were going to leave me on Fantastic Four, um, so I stayed on Fantastic Four. Wow. And you stayed up on Fantastic Four all the way up until the uh, till the onslaught story. Till the onslaught story. And that would then, I guess that was Marvel's decision to to take you off of that. Right. Did they give you a heads up on that? Yeah, actually, they called me up. The last two issues, uh, which were the onslaught storyline. Yeah. They called me up and they told me that they told me my issue as of the issue before the onslaught thing, I was going to be fired. That that would be my last issue. So I had to wrap up all my storylines before onslaught. Okay. And somebody else was going to write those two onslaught issues. And I said, okay, you know, the, the uh, Heroes Reborn thing I thought was a, a silly idea, yeah. but I, it wasn't wasn't up to me anymore. Right. So I said, okay, all right, so I'm, I'm done, I'm done. So they called me up and fired me, and um, I called up Paul, you know, Paul, Ryan, and said, Paul, 
you're going to get fired today. <laughs> oh no! We're going to finish up our, our our last couple of issues, but they're going to tell you what your last issue is. And I said, I just wanted to let you know so that you know don't ever let them see you sweat. You know, right. Be cool about it. And and he he thanked me for that. And as as things worked out, they never got around to calling Paul. I was the only one they actually fired. Oh. <laughs> uh, um, they never called Paul. They never, you know, they didn't call Danny Bolinati. They they just didn't let them know. Wow, really? Um, That's terrible. Yeah, I thought it, I, I I always thought it was terrible. Anyway, when those two issues came around, the guy who was supposed to write them was late. So they called me up and asked me if I could plot part one of the onslaught storyline for I forget who who drew it. Uh, Carlos um, Pacheco. Okay, so. You know, Carlos needed the work. Could I plot the issue? And I said, you guys remember, you did fire me. <laughs> and they said, yeah, but but we're in trouble. Can you plot that issue? And I said, oh, all right. You know, Marvel can put me wherever they want. You want me to plot it? I'll plot it. So I plotted that issue. And then Carlos drew it and needed another plot. So they asked me if I could plot the second issue. And I said, okay, fine. And then the person who was supposed to script them let them down. So they called me at the last minute and asked me if I could script them. <laughs> so I always thought it was ironic that I was the only one fired from the, from the FF, but I still did the last two issues. <laughs> and the other guys who were never fired did not do the two issues. Yeah, right. <laughs> so... Well, the, the thing about I love about your work is that you play the long game. You set up things that don't pay off for like years later. And so when it comes time to all of a sudden, oh, Tom, you need to wrap things up in like two issues. Do you like have to rack your brain to come up with a logical way to tie up every single thing that you've been doing over the past few years? Um, you know, yes and no. Yes, you, you got to make sure you've tied up every loose end or, or you know, or all the important ones. Um, and no, because I always knew how it was going to end anyway. Ah, okay. So to an extent, I've been working on the... As I start the first issue, I'm kind of already working on the last issue. You say that I play the long game, but I also play the very short game. Every issue I do is a complete story. Yes. Even if it's, you know, part three of, of, of you know, six-part story. They all have a beginning, middle, and end. I love that, yeah. Even if they're part of a, of a greater whole. And I think that's something that a lot of comic book writers have forgotten. that. Yeah. You, you you have to give readers a sense of fulfillment of every issue because otherwise they're not going to come back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I, I you know, and I look at sales these days and I think uh, the sales are what they should be because there's no, you know, there's no feeling of of uh, fulfillment in any one issue. Yeah. The last guy who was doing that that I that I'm familiar with was uh, you know Matt Fraction who was doing the the Hawkeye series. Oh yeah. And every issue was a complete story, and I loved it. But you have a you have an opportunity. You had an opportunity recently to kind of go back to that because you got to do one issue of Spider Girl recently. Is that right? Uh, no, uh, I got to do a ten page Spider Man story. Oh, ten page, and that was and uh, was that with Ron Friends again? That was with Ron Friends. Yeah. And how did that make you? Uh, how did how how did that feel getting back into the saddle there? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It was uh, it was hard. Yeah. Cause um, yeah, cause uh, you know, uh, Ron and I are lunatics, and we like to stuff, you know, stuff a story. Yeah. You know, I wasn't quite sure. I 
I, I had the uh, the ability to plot a 10 page story anymore because I hadn't done it in I don't know when the last time I had done that. Um, so we had a, all, all the appropriate insecurities, and I think you know ultimately it turned out okay. Well, that's good. Um, and you know, and it's always a pleasure to work with Ron. Yes. Uh, we have also recently asked to do a 10-page Thunderstrike story. Oh, fantastic. Um, and, um, you know, this is a story set in the past when when Eric was still alive, uh, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I finished that story and Ron looked and said, you have to put 20 pages worth of material into one 10-pager. <laughs> <laughs> and I said to him, you know, Ron... <laughs> Would you enjoy it if we put less material in? And he goes, no. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, at one point I, I said to the editor, yes, we have an A story, a B story, and a C story. And he joked with me and he said, you don't have a D and an E? And uh, <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I can't wait to read that one. That'll be fantastic. Yeah, a lot of fun. So, because you know, I, I I sometimes think you know I'm 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 crazy. I'm, I'm glad that you know nobody wants me to write comic books anymore because <laughs> I put too much work in here. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you know Tom, I wish you would because uh, the, your runs on FF and Thor uh, and Spider Man are just they're so good, I, and I love them so much. So I want to just thank you for for doing all that work in the past and. Uh, um, Wish you'd be able to come back and do some more. Well, uh, you know, it's Marvel's 80th. Uh, you know, they, they they dug a couple of us up. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, you know, put the zombies back to work. So who knows? Maybe if the sales, if the sales, you know, justify it, they'll, they'll have us do more stuff. That would be great. I um, hope to see that. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll see. You know, somebody asked me, the, you know, do you miss doing monthly books? And, you know, part of, part of me does, um, especially with the guys I got to work with, like Ron and Paul and and Ron Lim and, you know, Pat Olaf. Uh, you know, I got to work with some really great guys. Yeah. And and part of me also says, uh, what are you, out of your mind? <laughs> a month, monthly comic book at, at your age, at this, at this stage of the game, you know, it's... Yeah, I, I finally got to the point where I no longer have to work seven days a week. Right, yeah, um, I guess so. Yeah, you know, I, I get to watch an entire football game on, on Sundays instead <laughs> of the first, just, you know, one or two quarters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, yeah, this is a well-deserved time, Dan, and, that, and that's great. I'm glad for you. Um, did you have anything else that you um, that you wanted to promote or, or let the listeners know about? Um. No, anything else that, um, you know, my non-comic book work is all, you know, you know, heavily guarded with pen names. So, okay. uh, but I'm still out there. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> Not in the comic book realm. You know, th- these days I make actual money. Um, <laughs> but, you know, life is very good. Life is very good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Well, I thank you, Tom, for taking the time to talk with us today. It's been uh, great chatting with you about this uh, this great inf- uh, formative part of my childhood, and uh, um, hearing the behind-the-scenes stuff is always fascinating to me. Um, I'm, I'm glad I actually remembered a bunch of it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thank you so much, Curtis. I, I wish you, you and all your readers the best. Thank you.